So we've been studying through the Beatitudes as a church, and if you're new uh, here, today's your first Sunday, or maybe you just didn't grow up around church and you don't know what a Beatitude is, that is all right. The Beatitudes is really a kind of a list of attributes, attributes that Jesus is particularly interested in. If anything, it's a list that he gave uh, for us to know what kinds of people he gravitates towards, who he wants us to be as his followers. It's in Matthew chapter 5 at the beginning of a a teaching called the Sermon on the Mountain. The Sermon on the Mount is uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And if you're new to all this and new to the Bible, uh, or you really just want to understand and know more about Jesus, honestly, one of the very best places for you to begin is in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Odds are you know about the wise men in the manger. You've heard that one somewhere before Charlie Brown told you about it somewhere along the ways. And so if you really want to know more about Jesus, other than that origin story, get right into five, six, and seven, read it over and over for a week or so, and just get to understand who we are called to be. That's what that passage is all about. Uh, And so the Beatitudes are how he starts that message off, and it's this list of the kinds of people that Jesus considers blessed, blessed. Not blessed with belongings or physical things, but blessed with things that actually matter. You know, we just believe that the Bible wants has given you the roadmap to living a blessed life, that God wants you to live a blessed life, that that's, that's a desire he has for you. I think a lot of times as Christians, we look ahead to eternity, and that's what we see as our reward for following Jesus, and, uh, and that is an incredible reward, the greatest reward. But I believe that right here in this life, God wants blessing for you. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, and that this life is by any means going to be easy. In fact, sometimes suffering is a part of that journey to blessing, but I believe God wants you to have a fullness in your heart that you can't have any other way except through him. And this list of attributes is part of that journey to get there. And so I will read you uh, the Beatitudes this morning, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 2. It says, Jesus, he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And today's is blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who came before you. And so, this is the map to finding Jesus. This is the people that he's drawn to, the places where you can look for him, and it's who we, his followers, are called to be. So we're taking a couple months to study this passage and break these Beatitudes down one by one to understand who we, as followers of Christ, are supposed to be. Today, we're talking about what it means to be meek. Meek. We're talking about meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus is speaking to Roman occupied Jews. And in that society, just like in our society, meekness 
is not a value that most people are aspiring to. The dictionary today defines meek as easily imposed upon, submissive, weak. And that maybe is the thought that we have in our mind, kind of the pushover, the person that's always getting walked over. If we're watching a, a early 2000s romantic comedy, meekness is the person who's getting walked all over at the beginning of the movie, but that's not afraid to stand up for themselves by the end of the movie. Meekness is kind of something that we've, as a culture, decided we don't have a lot of place for. What we want is, is power. We, we want someone who's powerful within themselves, who's able to stand up and fight and do, do the right thing all the time in a way that is aggressive. The modern definition of meekness is not something that we celebrate very often. I believe that confrontation reveals whether or not you have a meek spirit. When you're confronted, it shows it. Uh, we can see a lack of it, uh, or we can see it in the way that we respond in confrontation. Once I was at a gas station, and I wanted a Snapple. I, I was in a, a season where I was really into peach Snapples. You know, this has been a while back. I haven't had one in a while. I bet it's just as good as it ever was. Okay, they were glass bottles, though. I think they shifted to plastic bottles, and that's when I was done. It's like it feels fancy in a glass bottle. I might keep this bottle, put something in it later. I don't know. I had like a collection of them that I just ended up throwing away a little bit at a time. Anyways, I was going to get a peach Snapple, and in front of me in the case was a person who was perusing by reading every single label available. And they're there, it's ages, and, I'm, and th this, is, this is who I am. I just kind of like patiently stood there behind them, fuming inside. It's very silent on the outside. And eventually I did the old scooch by, you know, this kind of, this move, you know, gave the, you know, gave one of those. You know, one of this move that we do with strangers and kind of the, the scrunchy face. I'm sorry, I'm just going to grab that right there. And reached in there and grabbed my Snapple and was just ready to get the heck out of there. You know, wanted to just drink this sucker and go and move on with my life. But this woman, as soon as I'm grabbing the tea and bringing it towards myself, she turns and just locks her eyes into mine and is only inches away from my face. And she says, it's the corn. And I said, excuse me? There's corn in everything. Every single thing in this case, corn. It's what the government's trying to do. They're trying to fill us up with corn. It's all we have anymore is corn. What's in that tea you got there? I know what it is. Corn. This was before there was ever a corn song on the internet. And uh, I knew full well that Snapple used pure cane sugar, not high fructose corn syrup. But I just looked at this woman dead in her eyes and I said, Okay. <laughs> and I got out of there as quick as I could. I turned around and I ran. I was like, Get, just don't, don't even walk, run from this person. So that's kind of how I handle confrontation. I lock up completely and just, just mutter as few words as possible and run away as quickly as I can. That's not what meekness is. There's the other way to respond to confrontation where we blow up and explode. Excuse me, this says pure cane sugar right here, lady. You're crazy, okay? Everyone in the store can see it. You're, you're leaking it, all right? It's, it's affecting the people around you. Uh, that's the other way to respond. Also, not what meekness is. So how do you respond to confrontation? Uh, do you, do you, are you the kind of person that's always wound up and ready to go at any moment? You're ready to pounce on the next unsuspecting person? Or do you avoid confrontation like it is the plague? In this cultural moment, 
We define meekness as the person who lets people walk all over them. We believe meekness means you're not concerned with being heard or you're not concerned with getting your way. That meek means you don't retaliate or fight back. Meekness we see as weakness. Meekness is weakness. But that's not how Jesus defines it. Jesus says that the meek are going to inherit the earth. So how can that be right? How can someone who gets walked all over on a daily basis inherit the earth? Do you know that the Webster Dictionary updates every year? Obviously, you know this. And they they make changes here and there because our understanding of words change alongside the culture that we're living in. And when Webster first published the dictionary in 1828, back in the early 1800s, the Bible was considered the guidepost for American morality. And the dictionary really served to define words that we find in the Bible, which meant meekness in this dictionary was something people aspired to because it appeared in the Beatitudes. So here's how it was defined in the first edition of the Webster's Dictionary. Number one, mild of temper, soft, gentle, not easily provoked or irritated, yielding, given to forbearance under injuries. And then it gives a Bible reference. Now the man Moses was very meek above all men, Numbers 12.3. Number two, appropriately humble in an evangelical sense, submissive to the divine will, not proud, self-sufficient or refractory, not peevish, which is a great word, we should bring it back, or apt to complain of divine dispensations. In other words, not likely to blame God when things go wrong. Christ says, learn of me for I am meek, and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest to your souls. Matthew eleven twenty nine, And then it says in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This was what appeared in the first version of the dictionary. And this is the definition for meek. It's what Jesus was talking about. It's who he was. If you look at the character of Jesus, as it's written down in the Gospels and described all throughout the New Testament, uh, even as it's prophesied in Isaiah, we see that a key characteristic of Jesus is this version of meekness. The word meek comes from the Greek word praus, which means gentle. It means gentle. The positive moral quality of dealing with people in a kind manner with humility and consideration. Meekness isn't about weakness. I believe that meekness is the greater show of strength. So three things about meekness and what it means to be meek and why we should emulate it. Number one, meek people are patient and kind. Meek people are patient and kind. It's easy to want to make your own justice, to defend yourself, to villainize the people who villainize you. Some of the highest grossing films in this day and age are revenge movies, like John Wick. We love a a, a revenge movie. You killed my dog. I'm going to kill 87 people in retaliation. It fires us up inside. Something inside of us lights up when we watch these sequences and these plots. We connect to them as a people because we want the justice that we believe people deserve. It's easy to want to make your own justice. In this world, the political climate is insane. We've been at war with one another for years now over who supports what policies and who votes for who. 
And it's turned us on one another, even inside the church. We're constantly trying to get the last word, or we're constantly trying to show the moral depravity of the other side of the argument. I believe that it's possible to oppose an action, a system, and even a belief without opposing the person who holds it. In fact, I believe that's what followers of Jesus have been called to do. Romans 12.9 is one of the ones, verses that we often think about whenever we desire our own form of justice and we want to bring it about on this earth. We know that in the Bible it says, abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Or oppose what is evil and cling to what is good. And it kind of fires us up to go and have our own wars and our battles and come up against people and, and really uh, engage in those kinds of things. But I don't believe that that's exactly what Paul was intending for us to understand in the context. Because if you read just five verses down in the same chapter, chapter 12, he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. Jesus elaborates on this as well as a means of clarifying to us what it means to be meek just moments after he said the meek are blessed. This is later down in chapter 5 during the Sermon on the Mount. This is what a lot of the Sermon on the Mount is, is Jesus declaring the way that the world and the culture around him sees things, and then him helping us understand the way that God sees it. It says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic Let them have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse to the one who would borrow from you. That last part really hurts for those of you with neighbors that never return your tools. But it's what Jesus says. This is his definition of meekness. Someone who endures persecution as people bring it their way. Someone who stands up for what is right, but also shows value and love even to those that they know are wrong. This kind of meekness is a significant show of strength. Why? Because it goes against our instincts. Because it's hard for us. Because it's a conscious choice and a decision to show love and value to the people who never, ever will return it to you. That's a special kind of strength. This kind of life requires far more strength than a life that simply reacts to the world as it comes to it. James chapter 1 verse 19 says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of men does not produce the righteousness of God. I just think for a long time, we've read that and not understood it. We've thought, we've seen the image of Jesus making a whip in a marketplace and flipping over tables and used it as our excuse to produce some anger as a response to things. And there is a version of righteous anger. He says, be slow to anger. He doesn't say never be angry. But I think it takes a high level of maturity, spiritual maturity, and discernment to know the difference between a righteous anger and an anger anger. And until you get there, I think the best place to make a mistake 
is on the side of patience. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Patience with others and kindness in all circumstances are our greatest show of strength. And it's a strength that is hard to come by because just as God demands justice, we also crave it. But meekness isn't ignoring a need for justice. It's just understanding that justice isn't our responsibility. We've been called to be a people of kindness and humility and patience to exemplify these character traits that we can track in the entire ministry of Jesus. And as he says, follow me, he lists this beatitude towards the top of the list because I think some of the top of the list beatitudes are the more difficult ones to come by. Poor in spirit, understanding our depravity before God. Meekness, the ability, the ability to feel a need for justice, but trust that it doesn't have to come from me and to treat people with kindness regardless of how they have treated you. It's one of the most difficult calls of Jesus. And the reason that we're able to do it and that we find the ability within ourselves to have that kind of patience when we are met with that kind of resistance from the world around it is because of number two, meek people wait on God. Meek people wait on God. There's a story that I love in the book of Numbers. Uh, If you're new to the Bible and you're looking for a great and interesting and exciting book to read, save Numbers for later. Um, It is, in fact, mostly Numbers. Uh, It serves as a census for the families that came out of Egypt, which is important and needs to be in Scripture. But there are a lot of the Exodus story being continued, sprinkled in throughout this book. Uh, And in chapter 12, it tells us some important pieces about the character of Moses, the man that God chose to lead the people of Israel out of their slavery. If you don't know about Moses, real brief, um, there was a period of time really from Genesis to Exodus where God didn't have a lot of relationship with humanity. That he tried a couple times and it didn't work out and uh, it was very relational for a while and then there needed to be more structure to it. And when God was ready to bring more structure into his relationship with humanity, Moses is the guy he chose to do it through. At this time in Israel's history, they're all slaves to Egypt. They're living in Egypt under slavery. And Moses was the person that God chose to deliver them from slavery. So God does it through Moses. And then they spend a number of years wandering in the desert, really, uh, as God refines them into his people before he plants them in his holy land. And so that's the story up to Numbers. And now we're seeing Moses out in the wilderness. This is chapter 12, and it says, Verse 1, Miriam and Aaron, this is the sister and brother of Moses, uh, who he wasn't raised alongside. They met as adults. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. I feel like they didn't even say that. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. And now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Moses was more meek. Some translations say that the man Moses was the most humble, 
more humble than anyone on the face of the earth, which is great when you know that Moses wrote the book of Numbers. Now, John Mark was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Uh, Anyways, it's about meekness, not humility. Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth, which means he didn't respond out of anger. So essentially, his brother and sister came up to him and said, you shouldn't be married to this woman. It's against the practices of our people. We don't marry with uh, other tribes. We don't do that. And Moses didn't grow up in Hebrew, so he didn't even know when he married this woman that he wasn't supposed to do that. And he is... Someone who God is using directly. He's spoken with God face to face like one speaks to a friend is what the Bible says. But his brother and sisters say, hey, you shouldn't have married that woman. Who do you think you are? Doesn't God speak through us as well? Do you think you're the only person that God could ever use? What's your deal, Moses? Moses could have responded in a lot of different ways. But instead, he just took it. Verse 4, it says, Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. So here's what happens. Moses married someone his brother and sister didn't approve of. He didn't know that he wasn't supposed to do that. He didn't know he'd done anything wrong. Uh, they disapproved of the marriage and they made it plain to him and even questioned his standing with God. And then it says Moses was very meek. And it tells you that because he doesn't fight back. It's letting you know that that's not what he did. He was gonna take it and stay focused on his task at hand, what he'd been called to do, and keep pressing on and let God deal with anyone who spoke against him. And God did. God said, listen, this right here, this is my guy. This is my dude. I'm the only one that's gonna judge him. But since you've decided that it was your job, let's go ahead and have a chat. And God handled it. Moses was the one under attack, but Moses didn't do any of the fighting. He just let God take care of it. Now, odds are, if you face opposition in this life, oppression in this life, people that rise up against you or make your life difficult, God is not going to call them outside and terrify them. That is probably not, he gave, he gave her like sores for a couple weeks, poor Miriam, you know. Listen, that's probably not going to happen to you. They're not going to get a pillar of smoke that's going to come down and go, Joe Mark's my dude, don't you mess with him. That's not the way it always works. But that doesn't matter. If you're just hoping that God smites the person who cut you off in traffic because you didn't give them the bird, so good for you, you don't quite understand what meekness is yet. Meekness is not fighting back, not because you hope that God punishes them. Meekness is not fighting back because you just don't believe it's your responsibility or your calling, and you got more important things to worry about. Meekness is knowing which battles are yours and which battles belong to the Lord. Meekness is what Jesus was trying to teach Peter 
in the Garden of Gethsemane when all of the soldiers came to arrest Jesus on the night that he would be tried and crucified. Peter goes to defend Jesus. He's got a little sword on him. He pulls it out. He lops a dude's ear off. That was a great shot. I think he was aiming for his brains and he missed and got an ear. And Jesus picks the ear up and puts it back on the guy's head and heals him and chastises Peter because he tells Peter that the sword is not the way we fight our battles as his followers. Meekness means that when someone attacks you for your values, for who you are, for something that doesn't even make sense, you don't attack them back. You don't start a Facebook comment war. You don't continue one. You show them love. You show them respect. And you show them kindness. And you keep going in the direction that you were going. Meekness means that when somebody strikes you, instead of retaliating, you just turn so that they can strike the other cheek. Meekness means you understand, as Paul tells us, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in all the heavenly places. Your enemy is not a person, it's a principality. Your enemy is the one who is out there orchestrating all of this division and all of this animosity in the world that we live in today. That's who you stand firm against. People are not your enemy. Paul gives us this great passage in Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 21. Repay nobody, no one, evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals of shame upon his head. That's not why you do it, though. That's not what meekness is. Do not overcome evil by evil but overcome evil with good. Dr. Martin Luther King famously said that hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. That's what meekness is. Meekness is responding like that when the world responds the way the world is gonna respond. Meekness is being kind and choosing to care for people even when you know they will never ever care for you. I used to struggle with this concept of, of God's version of justice and that ju- vengeance didn't belong to me. It belonged to the Lord. You know, I'm, I, I liked every revenge movie that's ever come out. I've seen it in the movie theater, you guys. I'm there. I'm like, yeah, I'm like a little guy. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to just, don't mess with me. I've got a very particular set of skills. I've watched a lot of Liam Neeson movies. And, uh, and I used to struggle with this idea uh, that vengeance belongs to God because of one question that was always ticking in the back of my mind. Well, what if they become a Christian? Then God's not going to take vengeance on them. They're going to get what I get. I don't like that. That's not fair to me. 
Because maybe meekness is a thing that you have a difficulty with, not just because you're a short-tempered person, but because living deep down inside of you is a form of bitterness that has existed in you ever since somebody hurt you in a unique way, in a way that you don't know if you could ever forgive or you could ever let go of. And maybe that's why it's hard for you to wrap your mind around this concept. You know, I read once that Dr. James Dobson was a, was a uh, psychologist in the Christian world for many years. And uh, he was a psychologist for the serial killer, Ted Bundy. And Dr. Dobson always claimed that at the end of his time, before he was executed, Ted Bundy became a Christian. And, you know, who knows? I'm not here to defend the salvation of Ted Bundy. But philosophically speaking, I've often thought of that and wondered, where is the justice of God if that man gets to go to heaven after all the horrible, horrible things he's done. And the only answer, and the answer that you just have to accept as a follower of Jesus, is that the vengeance of God on someone like that rests on Jesus on the cross. And it's not my responsibility or my right to disagree with that. The maker of the universe, the maker of the universe saw fit to to make a way for all vengeance to be repaid in one place through one man so that even someone like me could be forgiven and have a relationship with Jesus. Meekness is understanding that that same offering applies to every other person on this planet. Meekness means we wait on the Lord. Number three, meek people are fixated and not distracted. Meek people are fixated and not distracted. So why does it matter so much to be meek, not to fight all these battles? I had an incredible comment reply on Facebook. Why shouldn't I type it in there and just, I'm going to prove the whole internet that I know. I got the final word here ready to go. Why? Why? Why can't I argue with the lady and tell her that there's sugar in this daggum snapple? Because I've got more important things to do. Because as a follower of Jesus, I have been called to pick up my cross and follow him. To go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. I got important things to do in this life. I've got a calling and a purpose and a mission and so do you. And so I'm going to stay fixated on what I've been called to do, and I am not going to be distracted by every person who tries to get in my way. Meek people are fixated and not distracted. Let's back it up in in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, All the followers of Jesus who've gone before in the sidelines, rooting us on, cheering for us as we push forward in our purpose. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which cling to us so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, Jesus goes to trial after he's been arrested and he's got everybody making all these accusations about him that are false and they're accusing him of this and they're accusing him of that and they're asking him, defend yourself. If you are who you say you are, then won't you tell me? What do you have to say? And he stands there in silence. During the whole trial, he only offers a few humble words. Why? For the joy set before him. Because he had a purpose. Because he was called to something. Because God had set him on a path that he had to follow. He could not get distracted by the soldiers spitting on him. He could not get distracted by his people abandoning him. He could not get distracted by the priests accusing him. He could not get distracted by all the other things in this world and in this life that would take his eyes off the joy that was set before him. And so he endured the cross, despising the shame. And where is he today? But seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Mission accomplished. All I am trying to do in this life is keep that same level of focus. So you can come at me. Come on. You, you, you can slander my name. You can come after me. You can be angry all you want. I'm fixated, not distracted. I am going in one direction, the direction that I have been set on by my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have been set on a purpose and I will not be distracted by everyone that would try to get my blood to boil. We are running this race, the race of the purpose we've been given to go and make disciples. We are running this race. And in the stands are the multitudes of saints who have gone before us, cheering us on and rooting for us to do it well. And we will not be distracted from our purpose. Moses would not be distracted by it. He let God handle it. Over and over again, in his time of leadership, people rose up against him. But he just kept following God and doing what he was called to do, and God took care of his enemies. Paul was beaten, arrested, tried over and over, stoned nearly to death, bitten by snakes for crying out loud, whipped. But Paul never started a violent revolution because of all the anger built up inside of him. He got up every day and he kept spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter his circumstances, because of the meekness he lived by. There are battles that are worth fighting. The Bible tells us to be slow to anger, not forsake it altogether. Sometimes you do have to stand your ground. But learning when and learning how is a big part of maturing and growing as a follower of Jesus. And if you can't tell the difference just yet, that's okay. Err on the side of meekness and on the side of grace. For blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. When you think nobody sees you and you're struggling and it feels futile, keep meekness in your heart. You are not alone. God sees you and he cares for you and he is fighting your battles on your behalf. Great story it in scripture happens in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's a king named King Jehoshaphat and he's got enemies coming against him and the, uh, and the rest of Judah on all sides. Four armies are joining together to destroy them. It's pretty scary. It's going to be a big battle and it's not really one that they have any hope of winning. 
And he could have just mounted up whatever armies he could get together and gone out in the evening to go meet them on the battlefield. But instead, he let them gather their forces and he went to the temple. And while he was at the temple, he worshiped and he prayed and he kept his eyes on what God had created him for and called him to do. And it says, God says, listen, all of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle belongs to the Lord. So to develop meekness in your own life, very simply, don't get distracted. Keep pressing forward in the direction you've been called. Treat people well with kindness and humility. Show love to people when they don't deserve it, not even a little bit. Give people what they don't deserve because you've been given what you didn't deserve. And we will look more and more like Jesus. If you're in here today and you've never been in a relationship with Jesus, this stuff is alien to you because the world has always told you to respond differently. And if you want to find a better way, a way that leads you to feeling whole inside, good inside, complete inside, a life of blessing, then all you have to do is say yes to the offer that he already made you on the cross. That offer was for everyone, even you. He doesn't keep a checklist of who's worse than somebody else. He loves every single person the same. And he wants relationship with you. And if you're ready to receive that today, all you have to do is say yes. And we do it in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for desiring relationship with me. I thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for me. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for trying to do it on my own. All that I am from this day forward, I surrender it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.